Welcome, baseball fans and sports entertainment fans, to the pilot episode of Mop Up Duty, the Banish the Pen Off Topic podcast. I'm Ken. I'll try to host this thing today. Uh, the idea is this will be sort of a spin off series. Uh, we'll have a rotating cast, chat about various non baseball topics that creep into the Effectively Wild podcast and the Facebook group. And we hope to do this maybe a couple times a month, see how this goes. So I have two colleagues joining me today. Uh, first, from Parts Unknown, it's the Sinister Minister, Eric Roseberry. Say something to the fans, Eric. How's everybody doing? All right. And Eric is a uh, works as a pastor, and he's actually spent a couple years in the independent wrestling circuit, so we'll get into that. And in the other corner from the D.C. area, it's the Beltway Brawler, Ryan Sullivan. Address the crowd, Ryan. I love you. <laughs> And you know Ryan as the, the host of our main podcast, and he also hosts the Nats GM podcast. Yeah, thank uh, you very much. It's good to uh, maybe not be hosting this week and just be talking. It's uh, fun to be on this side of the uh, table, so to speak. Yeah, the host becomes the hosted. <laughs> uh, so first up today is, our, uh, is we're talking about for wrestling, talk about how we got into it, um, what we like about it, do a little 101. So first we'll start off, talk about maybe how each of us discovered wrestling, how our fandoms changed over the years. So uh, start with Eric. Want to give some background? Yeah, so I would, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, if it was on, I would watch it. And so um, I don't remember too, too much. I wouldn't go try and find it or anything. But yeah, if it was on, I'd keep it on and watch it. Um, but when I was in sixth grade... I had a buddy who brought over a tape, it was still VHS at the time, of WrestleMania 12, uh, which was the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Iron Man match. Um, and it was at that point, I was hooked. And so from there, I kind of, anything I could find, anything I could watch, it was just a, a light switch moment for me. So watching that pay-per-view and then really uh, the next 20 or so years after that has been somewhat of an obsession with it. All right, and uh, Ryan? I've kind of been a fan all my life. I don't really remember not being a fan. I mean, I grew up, I'm 34 years of age, just to give some everybody kind of a frame of reference, but I grew up, and I remember, you know, Hulkamania, you know, when I was five and six years old, kind of being the thing, and so I remember growing up with the Hulk, and then I got a little more into NWA because it was more easily available on TV in this area, so I grew up kind of watching Stunning Steve Austin and Flying Brian Pillman and Steiner Brothers and Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. And as I discovered girls a little later on, I got a little out of the wrestling fandom and out of the game, and then uh, when WCW Nitro came onto the scene and, and the NWO, uh, my fandom came back, and then I got into college and found a bunch of wrestling fans, and so... Monday nights became one of our drinking nights and one of the, one of the more fun nights, frankly, of the school you know week, just because we'd get together and watch wrestling. And then, unfortunately, I graduated and had to grow up a little bit. Fandom wavered a little bit. I wasn't the biggest fan of CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, and so that kind of took away a little of my fandom. But uh, due to some life circumstances recently in the last six eight months, I've been home a lot more, so I've gotten a lot more back into wrestling and have been just kind of a diehard the last six, eight months, gotten really back into it kind of obsessively. Yeah, and I think for me, uh, it's probably late 80s, early 90s, uh, I think a friend, uh, we were having a sleepover, and uh, 
he, you know, I think Saturday, the Saturday main event was on. I have no idea who was in it. I just remember him saying there was a championship online, and I think that's kind of how I got started. Uh, and I think primetime wrestling back then, when it was on USA, that was kind of the big thing. Before, it was just before Raw. And uh, I remember the they had the Saturday matches, I think, in the afternoon. It was usually just those, like, squash matches, and not too much ever happened there. Although, as a kid, I don't think you ever really noticed, especially compared to now, though. It's always, like, on Raw, it's always big names versus each other. So it was a different culture back then. So you guys are both WWF, WWE guys at heart. Oh, yeah. Even when you WCW guys had the NWO, I was sticking with Doink and uh, all those kinds of guys. So there were some dark periods, but I felt vindicated in the end. So Yeah, I think that was around the time I kind of fell off. I guess a lot of fans did uh, for yeah. WWF. So. Yeah, I definitely did as well. The Doink the Clown and the <laughs> Duke the Dumpster Drosy and Savio Vega era, I, I kind of passed on. It was a, it was a dark period, but I did have Shawn Michaels, so that kept me going. Very true. Yeah, I don't know if Shawn Michaels was still a uh, rocker. Shawn Michaels back then, <laughs> that transition period. Yeah, he was just starting to transition out of that, I think. When he super kicked Marty Jannetty, one of the greatest <laughs> moments in wrestling history. Then, but yeah, going back and watching that for the day, that was pretty intense to see that happen through the glass. I remember watching that live as a, as a kid, and that was. I mean, that was big. The Rockers breaking up and him super <laughs> kicking him through the glass. I mean, that was big. So, I mean, that was one of, you know, many highlights in wrestling that I remember. I'll never forget that. Yeah, I think uh, Ben Lindbergh, he recently did a piece on how A-Rod could have been a heel. And I think he mentioned that uh, particular incident. He still should be a heel. I'm surprised Vince <laughs> isn't on the horn. Yeah, I yeah. loved that piece Ben did, and I think the most disappointing thing was realizing a, there's no way A-Rod would go to that place and just realizing how much I would enjoy that if he would just embrace the hate. Yeah, I think there's like two different kinds of heels. There's the one that just actively hates the audience. There's the ones that feel misunderstood and don't know why everyone hates them. I think A-Rod would be in that category. Yeah, And actually, uh, I remember that Ben had done a uh, BP chat, and one of the questions was... Uh, if you're going to propose at a wrestling pay-per-view, which one would you choose and why? Uh, did you guys <laughs> see that question before? Oh, no, I've never seen that one. Do you want to take a guess at what his response was? Oh, that's, that's great. If Ben Lindbergh was going to propose at a wrestling pay-per-view. <sighs> I don't think Mrs. Lindbergh would be that impressed, first and foremost. But Yeah, my first it, thought is I don't know how smooth of a move this is, but... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure where the question came from. There's this kind of a setup for it. It's kind of out of blue. Uh, I'll give him a WrestleMania. He likes the spectacle of it all. Ben likes to be very showy. So I- I'm going with the Rumble just because he seemed so into the Rumble the other month. <laughs> I'm going with the Rumble. Okay, so what he said was probably one with a Hell in a Cell match, which seems like a simulation of some people's marriage experience. <laughs> That's not bad. My first thought was Halloween <laughs> Havoc back in the WCW days. Just, it's kind of fitting. Yeah, I don't know if I'd let her know that before you uh, decided <laughs> to do that. So, um, yeah, I've been, I've actually been impressed with how big the wrestling presence in the Effectively Wild group has been. I very timidly tested those waters, and I've been pleasantly surprised. Yeah, just kind of a random thing, like, oh, here's this wrestling piece of news, and I guess during, especially during the uh, pay-per-views. That's lately when we've gotten the big, uh, the big threats there. Oh yeah, yeah. The only thing is, is I guess maybe the audience 
the, the target audience is similar. You know, males 16 to whatever you want to call it, 50, kind of with the Effectively Wild. That might be oh. the only overlap that I can see. But I've been surprised, like you say. I mean, some of the biggest threads we've had was, you know, the Royal Rumble <laughs> thread or some of the wrestling threads that we've done. Yeah, the Rumble one was like 200 posts long, so it was pretty well received. Yeah, although I think some of there's like some baseball purists in the group and like, oh, these guys talking about wrestling again. <laughs> I feel yeah. like Sam would be that way if he was in the group. <laughs> I, I try and keep it to a minimum. Yeah. So what was that the... Uh... Oh, the uh, Randy Savage baseball card. That was kind of like somewhat relevant. <laughs> I did see that. Any, yeah, anytime we can uh, tie those two together, that's a good thing. Yeah, and the, was it? It was like a minor league card. Was he? What uh, was it? St. Louis, I think he was with in their minor league system. That was my guess too. That was. That the, sounds right. Yeah. And I think the back of the card had said that he was that he improved his swing by dropping his elbow or something like that. Well, no man can drop the elbow like Randy Savage, right? <laughs> yeah, signed by the Cardinals as a catcher out of high school, if Wikipedia is right. And I think with Savage, was there something like he injured one arm and he learned to throw with the other? I don't um, that. Because I think someone mentioned that in the group. That would I sound am seeing right. that he would swing a bat into a hanging car tire as a regular training exercise. So there's a little pro tip. Getting more into the, I guess, the art of wrestling, um, I guess maybe we could talk about like the different terminology that uh, fans throw around. Uh, maybe some of our favorite terms or the concepts that they describe. Um, I don't know if you guys want to talk about like the, the face heel thing, I think, is the one that would come to mind immediately. You guys want to get into that? Yeah, I mean, I use those terms in my own life. I mean, we just mentioned A-Rod. I mean, he's the ultimate heel. But I find myself talking about heels and faces all the time, just using it as a term of oh, wow, my buddy was in the bar tonight acting like kind of a heel. <laughs> Just throwing it around. Yeah, so for the few people who might listen to this, you're not as into the world. Yeah, face would be a good guy, a heel would be a bad guy, and you'll hear those terms tossed around a lot. The baby face, obviously, the good guy, sure. And an extension of that would be the turns, the face turns and heel turns, which is a, uh, I guess always inspires a lot of conversation when those happen. It does, yeah. It, when is you know the good guy is going to become a bad guy at some point, and so the I mean the big question for a lot of fans now is wanting to see someone like John Cena do that. When's he going to become a bad guy? But so when is he going to turn heel? Would be the way you'd hear him talk about that. And I guess the maybe the most famous one was uh, Hulk Hogan, who was the ultimate face for the longest time. And uh, I guess when, as uh, Ryan mentioned earlier, when Hogan went to WCW, uh, he became Hollywood Hogan. And uh, it was part of that whole NWO faction. Yeah, that was a great heel turn. The, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the Shawn Michaels kick to Marty Jannetty. All of a sudden, he was a heel as well and kind of destroyed that faction. That's a heel turn as well. And then a face turn, obviously, is the opposite. I'm not coming up with a great idea right off the top of my head, if you guys could help me. But there are tons uh, of examples of guys going bad and then going good. I, one of the better examples, I mean, popular examples might be Steve Austin, who... That's a good, that's a great one. He's a bad guy. WrestleMania 13, him and Brett do, you know, they kind of switch roles in the middle of that match, and out of that, yeah, he becomes this incredible good guy. I think there are times where the WWF or WCW will, like, try to present certain guys as one or the other, but the fans won't go along with it, so they have to kind of well, work the, on the fly and adjust. And the other thing that we've seen in the last you know, decade or two decades, probably with the NWO, is sometimes the bad guy or the heel is actually popular. 
is popular with the fans. Whereas, you know, way back when in the 80s, it was the baby face got cheered and the bad guy, the heel, you know, was booed. And it was very right down the middle. And now, you know, Steve Austin was kind of a bad guy, but would get, you know, cheers out of the building. So it's very interesting. I mean, Lesnar, kind of the same thing you're seeing right now, if you want to make it modern day, is he's supposed to be a bad guy, although he could be a face very easily with the fans. Yeah, especially when if he's uh, fighting Cena, and uh, that's the crowd reaction is a lot more mixed when those two uh, face each other. I love Cena. I, I'm such a fan of his. Just the fact that half the fans love him and half hate him, I just think that's the ultimate respect in wrestling that you can actually do that with your character. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of his character just as a you know right, right, sure. But yeah. when I think about my favorite five to ten matches of the last few years in WWF, he's in quite a few of them. Um, I, I stepped away from wrestling for about five years, and what got me back was uh, CM Punk versus Cena, Money in the Bank 2011, um, and that's one of my favorite matches I've seen maybe ever in terms of that big kind of main event match. And I love that Cena will put people over. He'll actually lose and do the job. Maybe not at WrestleMania, but otherwise, I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, we just saw him lose to Rusev last month. Yeah. I think he gets. Things are shifting a little bit, and it's been good to see him do that, yeah. True. But anybody can get cheered. Anybody can get booed. But to get the same rea- or to get both reactions at the same time, I think is remarkable. And, uh, well, maybe uh, whenever people mention wrestling, I think one thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is the whole fake, real uh, debate. Uh, I think it's more accepted now that it is uh, at least scripted, even though um, there's a lot of uh, athletics involved and it's apparently really hard on the body. So uh, I don't know if Eric, wanna, you want to touch on that a little? Yeah, I mean, we can go into it. So I, uh, when I got into it, I got into it a little late. I was 29 at the time which was older for the guys who were getting into it. but So the way it worked, I found a school in town. Uh, there's a guy who lives in my town who did a lot on the indies, uh, wrestled at the ECW arena, uh, you know, wrestled guys like Jushin Liger and stuff like that. And so he was a legit guy, and I checked around. And so we would train uh, once a week for four hours, um, and that was just kind of what everybody's schedule could do. So Sunday afternoons from 2 to 6, uh, and yeah, obviously it's in a match, you know, who's going to win, you know, who's going to lose. Um, but in terms of the toll on your body, uh, I don't think I was ready for, um, yeah, just how much of a beating you take. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of those guys who can go out there and do it every night and 20 or 30 minutes at a time. And, uh, cause even in the short time, and that's the thing I did it for a short time at a small level. Um, yeah, guys who can really get out and do that, but it just takes a heavy toll on your back and your limbs. And, um, yeah, I mean, we kind of had a rule. You, you want to be safe with each other, but in terms of like hitting each other or whatever, the guys I would work with, it was just, you know, if you hit me in a safe spot, have at it. So up on my back, up on my chest. Um, I mean, you would, we would hit each other because we like to, to give people that impression, but, um, it was definitely meticulous in terms of, Here's where I want you to hit me. Here's where I don't want you to hit me. I'll know if a guy's hurt in a certain area and try and stay off of it. Um, and it, it's a lot of fun when you have a guy that you can trust and just know you're both out there to protect each other but still put on a good show. You talked about training for wrestling. Mm-hmm. What is, I mean, I, I think we've all heard that term, and you know, you go to wrestling school, but what is 
actual training encompass? What are those four hours? You know, how many four-hour sessions do you need before you're properly prepared to get in the ring? And what are you doing in those four hours? And can, can you peel that curtain back a bit? Oh, yeah. So it was uh, – when I did it, we did a, uh, a year of training for four hours at a time, basically before our trainer would vouch to other promoters, I trust this guy to go out and work. Um, I mean, the thing is with how independent wrestling is, people will run shows. Uh, you'll have some guys on those shows who haven't trained at all, and it's just something they want to do. Their buddy runs it. And so, I mean, I would try – and I personally tried to stay away from that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, we would do a year of training. And so honestly, like the first two months of it is just learning how to fall. Basically we would, we would take back bumps, which is just, you know, what it sounds like falling on your back over and over and over, uh, a lot of cardio, uh, trying to get in, uh, ring shape for that. Uh, you spend a lot of time early on just basic stuff, running the ropes, uh, hip tosses um, I mean you're just doing uh, constant repetitions of stuff like that you want it to become like a second nature type thing um, and so yeah I mean early on it's just a lot of basics making sure you know how to fall and not hurt yourself um, but then beyond that I mean we would spend times on uh, I mean we would spend time cutting promos hey you're out in front of the crowd you've got two minutes what would you say uh, we would watch other matches and talk about it why certain things happened at certain times um Toward the end of our training, a lot of it was just certain scenarios that he would put in a, a hat, and you'd pick it out. It'd be a random opponent who was a part of our training class. You guys have uh, 10 minutes, and you need to make sure that the heel goes over and work the back, something like that. Um, so, yeah, it was just a lot of different scenarios, uh, kind of playing that out over and over again. And so it was good. A lot of training, again, is just repetition, uh, ingraining what they can so – you cannot hurt yourself as much as possible. The indie wrestling level, like you described, how much of it is, how, before you go out, obviously we know there's going to be a winner and a loser, and you guys know that. But how much of the match is, quote-unquote, scripted? I mean, how much of the novel do you know before you walk through that curtain? Yeah, so you'll show up, and usually the guy running the show will have a sheet. Here's his wrestling. Here's the finish we want. Uh, it really depends on the guy. And so early on, um, I liked having the whole thing mapped out, uh, especially as I was getting started. And I was usually working with younger guys. So we would actually sit and talk through every single part of the match. I'm going to do this and then this and then this. Um, and I felt comfortable with that with some guys. Um, I worked with my trainer a few times, and it was much more, hey, this is how we're going to finish. Let's make sure we get these couple of things in. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities to just – listen and call it on the fly um and sometimes i mean you'll hear that sometimes in wwf matches you'll hear them call out a spot as it's called in the middle of a match uh but it really just depends on the comfort level of the person you're working with so if i was working with a veteran that had done it for a while um we might know a few things we wanted to get in uh but it would be kind of up to me to just pay attention you know how certain things are sequenced uh, and there's opportunities to to try and talk to each other during the match hopefully without many people seeing so that you mentioned wwe and hearing the spots on occasion mentioned is it more scripted at the wwe level or less scripted or can you compare it or can you even talk about that yeah i mean i don't my guess is it would be um some of it would just depend on the guy again i mean i know they have guys like pat patterson's famous for behind the scenes being a guy who really invested in helping guys put their matches together 
Um, I mean, obviously, I don't know what like a, a personal level what some of those guys do, but my guess is it would be similar there. I've heard Steve Austin talk about, you know, he really enjoyed just going out. We'll call it on the fly. And um, if you're working with someone who's done it for a long time and has a good sense of wrestling psychology, uh, you really can do a lot just paying attention to them, listening to them. Uh, you kind of learn the rhythm of it, and there is a, a rhythm to it and a rhythm the way the match typically would go. And so when you start putting some of those puzzle pieces together, uh, the more comfortable you get, you really can do a lot without knowing many of the details of what you're going to do when you're out there. All right, so you mentioned uh, ring psychology. That's a term I've heard before and uh, heard that and sort of, just, I guess there's a storytelling aspect that maybe casual fans might not really look for. Um, can you get into that and explain the sort of the ideas behind those? Yeah, I mean, some of it is uh, when you're wrestling, you, you're trying to tell a story because you want the fans to be invested in this good guy winning, this bad guy losing. And so a lot of that's just making sure you're doing things that make sense to the story. Uh, things like, you know, if you're a bad guy, you probably don't want to have all the cool moves during the match because the fans are going to like you more. Um, and not everybody gets along with all of this, but um, things like that, things like just making sure, hey, if you're a bad guy, take some shortcuts, take some cheap shots. We want to we solidify that you are the guy that these people should be against. Um, and a lot of it, I mean, it's, it's just the basic storytelling of there's a good guy we like. It seems like he's in trouble. We want to see him come back and, and beat the bad guy. I mean, as basic as that story is, uh, that's a story that's been told really well for years and years in professional wrestling. And so um, a lot of that's just how can you as a performer – if I'm a bad guy and I'm getting cheered, I'm not doing my job very well. Uh, so making sure you're doing what you need to do to get the reaction that you want out of people. And for context, it, it's hard to tell just based uh, looking at your uh, Facebook avatar, but you're like six seven, I think. Yeah, so I was I'm six seven, like two fifty. I was two seventy when we were doing a lot of it, um, which for WWF is kind of middle of the road. But for independent wrestling, I was one of the bigger guys I would run into. So. Uh, one of the benefits of that is I'm not taking a lot of the slams and all the crazy stuff that some of the smaller guys were having to take. So I was able to uh, conser conserve myself a little bit more than some other people were, and I definitely took advantage of that. So that that was helpful. One Another question I have is kind of the payout schedule, it, it, and I don't know if maybe you can speak on this or not. Yeah, I mean, I can a little bit. Um, I'll be honest, I, I typically, if I made anything, it was gas money to get to and from where I was going. Um, I mean, most people at the level I was doing it, you're not command, you're not really making anything. You're probably spending more money just because you love it and want to do it than you're going to make at that point. Um, I mean, there are some guys kind of at our level, uh, independent wrestling, who they'll command thousands of dollars to show up. Somebody like AJ Styles, who comes from TNA and starts doing independent stuff, uh, he's going to be able to make some good money doing what he does. A lot of guys, what they make depends on merchandise that they sell. Um, they're able to keep most of that money, uh, things like that. So uh, really at the level I was doing it, you're not getting any kind of payout unless it's obvious that you're the draw that people are coming to see. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, guys who, who start to do it, I mean, I know when you get to – the Performance Center at WWE, I mean, you're at least at the point where that can become your full-time focus. Um, I, I don't think it's a great living at that point, but you're at least able to think about wrestling without having to get wrapped up in another job. Uh, so there's, I mean, the thing is, unless, you're, unless you have a WWE contract, 
or you're a big time indie performer. I know people who go to Japan and make really good money. There's opportunities out there, but there are definitely fewer opportunities for good money than when there was more than one major promotion in the U.S. Okay, and I think you mentioned before that the circuit that you're in was Chikara. Was that just one of a few, or is that the only one that you were involved in? So, yeah, the group I wrestled with was, I, in baseball terms, it would have been a farm system for Chikara. We kind of linked up with them. And so I, they're based out of Philadelphia. I went up there once to do some training. They helped me develop my character. And so uh, they would typically send people down to our shows to kind of cross-promote in that sense. So those were some of the the more well-known indie guys I would have done anything with. Um, but I never worked one of their main shows, but yeah, it was more of like their their farm system type shows. And uh, do you want to get into a little about what your, did you have the same character throughout or was it kind of a, a fluid thing? I did, yeah. So we, so I, you mentioned up front I'm a pastor, so I, I'm comfortable talking in front of people, which, um, I mean, outside of the physical aspects is an important part of wrestling. So, they, yeah, so they created this character, uh, Buck Boulder, which came from Philadelphia, uh, and I was a mountain man who's a mountain of a man, as intimidating as that sounds. So I uh, was jeans and flannel and uh, overalls and the whole deal. So it was it was fun to get to play that kind of character, and I was definitely the good guy who does the right thing, who's kind of looking out for everybody. And um, Yeah, it was fun. Apparently I'm not mean-natured enough to be a bad guy. So as much as that was my dream, they, they put a stop to that pretty quick. How did they not book you as the sinister minister or something like that at six seven two seven? Oh, pastor of pain. Uh, I mean, sinister minister has been used somewhere, and I know I'm quoting that, but it, like you say, that's too much of a hook. <laughs> it was. It became. Do I want church people to come and see me uh, playing this role that might make them a little uncomfortable? <laughs> so we ultimately decided, ah, we'll try and keep these two lives a little more separate. Than- I mean, you could have done something like Pope was doing in TNA a few years ago, where you're just preachy and everybody hates you, but it's you're preaching the will of good. I mean, it could have been great. That's true. If I if I was still doing it, maybe I would I would change something like that. But I sold my boots in January, so uh, it looks like I've hung them up for now. Oh, I wish I could be the Paul Heyman to hear this, because this would we would we would have some fun with this character. I, I'd come out to DC for that. We can do at least one more show. Oh, now I've got to be a promoter too. I don't know if I can put that hat on. Get it booked. Oh wow. And Eric, did you want to go into kind of your move set and your uh, finisher? I can if you'd like. Um, there, they let me again because of my size with that group of people. I really worked more as a big man type guy. Uh, so it, it was a lot of, I didn't do too much. Um, and I mean, it was a pretty limited move set, but I did have altitude sickness, which was my finisher, which is appropriate for a mountain man. Um, and if you imagine someone kind of tossing pizza dough, that was the, that was the basic gist of what that move looked like. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. Choke slam. I mean, big boot. I mean, kind of what you would expect from the typical big guy on a show, that's typically how I was working. I'm thinking a diamond cutter move called the last rights. That's what I've got for you. I would try it out. I'll pull the mat. When I was training, I'd pull my mattress off the bed, and that was kind of what I'd use in my room to practice. So I'll give it a shot this afternoon. Maybe like an inverted diamond cutter called the last rights. I'm I'm in all in on this. Okay, I'll find a clerical robe. <laughs> so what? So some of the. Uh other wrestlers that you uh, worked with, any names that would be familiar to the listeners? 
Yeah, I mean, pretty basic stuff. Uh, the first show I ever worked, we had Eugene on, which some people might remember from WWE. Uh, so him, um, Gangrel, got to work a show with him, who was probably the most well-known guy uh, I ever worked a show with, which we did an independent show, but he still came in and did the the brood entrance from WWF with the music and the chalice. And so that was just a cool thing to be able to see kind of from behind the scenes. So those would probably be the two most well-known guys uh, you know, I was able to do stuff with on a show. So uh, it was fun. It was definitely weird. Um, you know, seeing guys kind of behind the scenes like that, but they were both very cool, uh, very very nice to the young guys, very helpful, uh, and it was a pretty cool experience. Can I, in a way, can that be related to the way if a major league player was coming down to the minor leagues to rehab? Is is that sure. kind of a similar? Am I making a decent comparison? Or yeah, and I mean for for those two in particular, I mean it gets to the point where if WWE. WWE if they're moving on for a guy with name value like that, they're going to sell tickets. And like I said, they can definitely still make a living uh, doing that. So um, I think that's where they were both at. Eugene at the time uh, was still running the OVW training center down in Louisville. Um, and so he was still very much involved in wrestling. But but yeah, it's it's a way to use that name recognition they developed in WWE to still make a, a pretty good living for themselves after the fact. And I think you mentioned before that you had did some training with Cole Cabana, which is, I guess, kind of a big name with the uh, wrestling Oh, fans. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, uh, our school, um, I'm only two hours from Chicago, so Cole came down and ran a training seminar, which uh, that was crazy because I had been listening to his podcast for a while up to that point. So just to have that person there and being able to, to learn from him was very cool. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was good. A uh, former WWE referee I got to do a training seminar with, so... Uh, I mean, there was, I would have loved to take it farther, but at the point I started, I had a job, three kids, a wife, um, already getting into my thirties. It was, I was not in the, really in the place for the person that wants to start pursuing that kind of path. So decided, eh, I'll just keep it local, have some fun with it, but not try and push it much farther. Um, besides the obvious, don't get into it. What advice would you give to somebody who's 21, 22, who's thinking about getting into the business? Yeah, I mean, for, honestly, for me, the biggest thing was finding, there's so many trainers and schools out there, finding a good reputable, reputable guy is so important. Um, I felt very lucky to be able to work with the trainer that I did. Uh, so if you can find an established school that's got a track record, uh, one, just for your personal health and safety, I mean, these are guys who are going to watch out for you, but also, I mean, those are the kinds of people who are going to have connections and who are going to be able to get you uh, booked on shows. And so, um, yeah, I mean, for some of my the friends that I made who are doing this, it's really being willing to be the guy who works from Monday to Friday and from Saturday to Sunday. They're in two different states and finding shows where they can. And so it's it's one of those things where if you want it bad enough and you're willing to put in the time and the work and the money. Um, you can definitely get where you want to be, but it definitely takes that single-minded devotion to really be able to pursue it in that way. And uh, as far as training and getting into the industry, uh, uh, after you came away from it, and in uh, retrospect, what was the uh, maybe more surprising aspects uh, that you experienced, just in terms of the uh, the training and the performing part of it? I um, I had such a newfound respect for how hard those guys work. Uh, and really the risks that they take with their bodies. Um, 
and I'll say this, I didn't do anything crazy. And part of that was going in. I knew I had three kids. I knew I had a job. So I just kind of made it clear up front. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to take any unnecessary risk, which some guys are willing to do that. They can definitely get ahead doing that. And so uh, I have a much greater respect for, you know, before just as a fan, I would watch it and see this crazy thing happen. The craziest bump most people are aware of, you know, mankind gets thrown off the top of hell in the cell, Undertaker throws them off. It's this crazy thing. Um, and I remember as a kid watching that and just being astounded by it. And now as someone who's done a little bit of it, uh, it's a much different feeling watching that happen, knowing, um, yeah, just probably how everyone involved felt as, you know, that happened and this teeth are busted out and just all that crazy stuff so um yeah i just i, I really respect those guys who were able to do it for years and make a career out of it and give so much of themselves for the people who like to watch yeah and that probably is the number one thing that always used to drive me crazy about going back to the real versus fake aspect of it is yes i know it's scripted like a television show or a movie and just like those fights you know the good guy's gonna win and the bad guy's not but it's not fake I mean, these people are having their teeth knocked out. They're getting their shoulders dislocated. I mean, these guys are on painkillers every day for a reason. It's not fake. It's just, there's a different word for it. It's fake minimizes what you guys are doing and putting your bodies on the line. Right. And again, I mean, I had to do very little compared to some other people. But yes, we know where, we know what's going to happen. There's a trust there, obviously. I mean, I think most people can tell. When you're punching someone in the face and there's not any marks left on their face, you haven't probably really punched them in the face. But, yeah, I mean, you're getting slammed on plywood with uh, uh, the equivalent of a little bit of padding on top of it, I, I, not enough to, to blunt it at all. Um, I mean, a lot of those, as much as you want to get close to hitting someone without hitting them, you're going to accidentally hit them sometimes. Um, and so it was Monday mornings after training, there was a good half an hour of slowly getting myself to the bathroom after all of that and it was uh yeah there's as scripted as it is uh there is a a lot of their bodies that those guys give to be able to do that uh that at, got another question uh jogged in my memory but what happens when you catch somebody stiff you know you're trying to catch it with an open hand with a punch and all of a sudden you catch them <laughs> i mean do you say oops or how, how does that work yeah, usually you know when you've messed up. Uh, and so there were a couple of times I was trying to... Because uh, if you uh, hit with somebody... Inde- with independent gonna... wrestling, you're close to the fans, so you need to make it look as real as you can. You're going to accidentally hit someone. Usually the first chance I would get, you know, we're in, I'm in a headlock, he goes for a pin, we can be close enough where we can talk without people hearing. You try and say sorry, but it's kind of one of those, you know, the unwritten rules of baseball type thing. If I accidentally hit a guy, I'm expecting a receipt at some point during the match, and then we should be even and not worry about it anymore. So you just know you're going to get another stiff. You're going to get a stiff one in return, and that's just I'm probably un- going to get one in return. And I mean, that's the kind of thing. If you have a younger guy who is trying not to be, but just for whatever reason is stiff, I mean, veterans will definitely let them know through punches or whatever you need to cool it a little bit and so that's a way that wrestlers can actually kind of talk to each other throughout the match without having to say much that's interesting that that's a, a nice perspective to have that that's very intriguing to me so it's yeah usually, usually based on how someone was hitting me i could tell how my strikes were landing on them and, and i was going to say if you landed somebody with a real punch i'm sure it hurt like 
you know what? I mean, you're six seven, two seventy at that point. I mean, it, I'm sure it felt like a truck. Well, and we honestly, our trainer was big on punches need to mean something. And there was a time punches were illegal in professional wrestling. <laughs> and part of that was your it hurts your hand when you actually punch somebody, and there should be marks on their face. So to make it look as realistic as possible, we throw a lot more forearms. We would. We would try and stay away just from the, I'm going to punch you in the face. Just, again, it kind of, you want, the big phrase is you want to be able to suspend your disbelief as a wrestling fan. I know this is scripted, but you get so caught up in it that you, it feels like a real fight. If someone's getting punched in the face and there's no marks on their face, it kind of takes some of that away. So we tried to stay away from that as much as we could. Yeah, I mean, I always feel like if I'm saying, oh, crap, during a match, they're doing their job right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess nowadays, I guess the WWE's kind of banned uh, sort of neck-related moves like uh, pile drivers. Was oh, yeah. that the same way down there? Yeah, I mean, it was part of it's up to uh, the guy how comfortable they are. And, and like I said, I was just open with people. I'm not going to take a lot of risk with the neck and the head. And we really, for the most part, stayed away from it. We didn't even learn how to give pile drivers um, – there wasn't a lot of emphasis placed on that, um, and it was just—it was very serious. You've got to take care. You got to take care of your opponent because they're entrusting their body to you. Um, and so, I mean, I, I know even WWE's gotten away from it. Uh, there was a CM Punk John Cena Raw match a couple of years ago where all out of nowhere Punk busted out a pile driver, and it was just a straight up Jerry Lawler pile driver, and I jumped off my couch because they had protected it so well. Uh, but it's, yeah, as much as possible, I tried to stay away from my head is going toward the floor, uh, straight and in the direction. Well, we've seen too many guys really break their neck. Taz, Sabu, so many names we've seen, you know, legitimately oh, break yeah. their neck. Steve Austin. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was my wife's concern going into it. We had about a six month talk before we both decided this would be a good idea. Uh, and that was a concern is how are you gonna be able to protect yourself? And like I said, at the size I was at that level outside of, I mean, there was a linebacker from Butler university who I, I worked with a lot just cause we were similar size. I was comfortable with him doing some things just cause I knew he could handle it, but I was not having to take a ton of those moves. And so, um, it was never too big of a deal for me. Well, there are probably not a lot of guys that could actually put you up in a pile driver. <laughs> yeah, that which was nice that I <laughs> yeah. have that conversation too often. So um, yeah, I mean it was it was the kind of thing we we definitely tried to stay away from anything that's gonna neck head that kind of thing, and it was taken pretty seriously. Well, in modern day now in Ring of Honor, they're trying not to have AJ Styles do the Styles Clash, just because a couple of guys have oh, hurt true. their neck with that move as well. Yeah, it's it's a scary thing, and it's always in the back of your mind. Um, there's always a little bit of relief when you get to the end of the match and you're. You're healthy and you're all together, and it's—I mean—you're sore, but it was—it was safe and it was fun for the fans. So uh, there's always that thought in the back of your mind: Hey, at any second something could go wrong, and just trying to plan for that. One of the worst injuries I ever saw was Rick Steiner doing a bulldog on somebody, and this was probably uh, ninety-five, ninety-six, and I forget the wrestler, and I feel bad that I do now, but he just messed the move up, and you saw it, and the guy's neck just jacked back. Yeah, that's. It's one of those things going into it. You know you're going to be hurt at some point. Uh, you don't know when it's going to happen. And you know there's always the threat of, hey, this could be 
a really serious injury, but uh, for people who love it and that's just been their dream, I mean that it, they really don't give it a second thought as they get into it. That yeah, I, this is what I want to do with my life. Um, so one of the things that the online fans uh, often talk about is the uh, backstage politics part of it. Uh, could you get into a little bit? I don't know if it's the same sort of degree uh, on the lower levels. If it's more uh, democratic, maybe than the uh, the bigger circuits. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's nothing like it would be at a big level, but it kind of just depends on the person, the personality of the person. So. Obviously, there are some wrestlers who have relationships with people who run shows, and they're probably treated a little more favorably in terms of the outcomes of matches. Um, A lot of it's just the disposition of the person. And so you hear a lot of professional wrestlers who have made it say that at some level, you can't be a nice person and make it in this business. Um, And I realized very early on, I was was a little too nice uh, to ever make it uh, too, too big because... I would just kind of go with the flow. I was never really pushing too hard for myself to to win or I need to make sure I'm seen in this light. So, yeah, depending on the, the personality of a person, um, you'll see some guys who really spend a lot of time pushing for themselves or for them to, you know, whatever. They want to be seen in a certain way. Um, and for other guys, they're just – they enjoy being there. They enjoy that locker room culture of being with the guys. Um, and it, it really – when you have someone running your company who knows what they want uh, and they they aren't shy about letting you know that, it really helps uh, ease the tensions in the locker room because you know who's running the show. You kind of touched on it, but do people actually care whether they win or lose? I mean, is that a big thing backstage? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's, it's scripted, um, but there – there's definitely something inside of you that, yeah, you want to be the one who's winning and your hands raised and you're in front of the fans. And so um, you'll definitely have guys like that. You'll have guys that are very particular about how they want to lose. I don't want to tap out because I don't want to be a guy that taps out to a submission. So I want to be pinned. I want to be cheated. There are definitely people who are pretty particular about how they want to be seen in that way. That's interesting. Well, it, it makes sense if, I mean, you've described it a little bit more that your career aspirations weren't getting to WWE perhaps, but for the guy that real right. that is aspiring to move up the card to move up to bigger and better things, yeah, it probably matters that they win and that they have a title on them and that a company believes in them to the point that then they they can go say, "Hey, I've won these titles." You can other organization you can put a title on me. So I guess in that respect, it does matter. Yeah, I mean, the more you win, the higher up on the card you're working, the more main events, the more you're attached to how many people are coming. So I mean, there there is significance to. Are you a person who who wins and has success, and the, it definitely feeds into what your career is going to look like from place to place? And your merch, if you're selling it, or even just your pictures and your autograph before the shows, is worth more oh, yeah, if you're yeah, holding definitely. the title rather than the guy pulling the curtain. So, not many people want merch from the guy who never wins. So, yeah, it's it's all connected in that way. Yeah, I mean, you don't see a lot of Brooklyn Brawler shirts out there. Although you should, that would be one I would own. I would love to have a brick and baller shirt, so if you find one. I just got a great Ted DiBiase shirt the other day in the mail. It's the greatest shirt ever. <laughs> it just says, I'm so money, and it's a picture of Ted DiBiase. It's the greatest ever. I I went through, I was the kid in middle school with the wrestling shirts, which shows you where I was in the pecking order in middle school. Correct, uh, me too. But yeah, I know right did. where you are. Yeah, we were hanging out together, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't at the I, high school dances uh, dating with the uh, cheerleaders, yeah. Uh, I still remember eighth grade, Halloween day. 
I came in the sting face paint, the trench coat, the all black, oh, and I'm wow. pretty sure I ate lunch alone that day. So I had wrestling though, so that was good. Yeah, I went to Shawn Michaels one year. Let's just say I wasn't exactly the most. I didn't get first place in the prize pool. <laughs> I had the whole rockers purple shirt. Like it was awesome. Let me tell you. Looking back now, I I was like, I'm pretty cool for sixth grade. Let me tell you. Apparently, not so much to other sixth graders. If you have those, you have those photos, we can post them for yeah, you. Yeah, no, no, I won't be doing that. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, uh, I think in uh, junior high, it was a lot of uh, doodling the Ultimate Warrior logo and the uh, margins and notebooks. Oh, I yeah. That was kind of big. I was never a warrior guy either. You know, because he wasn't a worker, so he was not my guy, but that character was great. Yeah, I think it was one of my favorites. He's very, uh, very colorful, very interesting promos. Especially looking uh, back on it now. And what a sad... Right. Looking back now, he gets in the Hall of Fame, and what, two days later he passes? Three days later? It's just horrible timing. Yeah, I don't think anyone saw it coming either. Yeah, I mean, we might have seen it because ten years ago, but not today. He seemed to be kind of squared away, or at least more squared away. Yeah. And I guess there were some, uh, I guess, controversial things that he was saying uh, in the past few years. It's kind of surprising to uh, hear about that, uh, I guess, in adulthood. Some brighter news, uh, Randy Savage is getting into the Hall of Fame. That was kind of a big thing in the past few years. Yeah, are you guys into the Hall of Fame? Like, WWE Hall of Fame? I, I don't, I mean, I'll see who goes in, but I don't really pull for some guys over others or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's never been, I've never worried too much about it, so. Yeah, I mean, when Rikishi's going in, it kind of diminishes how much I can possibly care about it. I mean, I like it more for the moments. Like, you get that night before WrestleMania, someone like Warrior comes back and they're able to address the fans. Or It's, it's cool to see those guys one more time kind of get their, their due for their career. But in terms of the achievement, I think most people get. Um, it's not always uh, uh, just a merit-based thing. Oh, sure. There's, it's a lot more politics than it is sometimes wins and losses on the belt, so to speak. And the uh, Bushwhackers, I think they just recently announced they're getting in. They are getting in, so. <laughs> I mean, you know. The, That's where we're at. Masters of the mid-card, the Bushwhackers. <laughs> um, so getting back to the fan experience, I guess, uh, <laughs> Ryan, you want to talk about what the, I guess, I've never seen a show in, uh, a show in person. Uh, I think you've been to a few. You want to convey what that's like uh, being there in person? It's completely different. I mean, if you go to a Raw, it's, it's strange because the commercial breaks, you know, if you're a fan, you go and you're watching on TV, you you know, you get a beer, you go to the bathroom, you flip to another TV show. When you're there at Raw, it's like two minutes kind of dead time. And so the, it's, I think that's one of the biggest problems with Raw right now is it's three hours. And with all the commercials in there, it's hard for a crowd to stay hyped for three hours with, uh, with all those kind of pauses. So, um, But I, I, live events are where it's at. You really learn a lot, whether you want to go to a house show or, or you go to a big pay-per-view. But it's... There's nothing like it. I, I'm going to go to the Ring of Honor show in Baltimore next week, and I'm literally cannot wait. I, I am so anxious to go and, and see it up close and everything else. So if you get the chance to go, even at, at an indie show or all the way up to WrestleMania, I mean, if you've never gone, it's it's a much different experience. It's like I would say with hockey. You watch it on TV, and it's one thing, and then you go to a hockey game, and it's a completely different experience. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Ryan. If you get a chance to go to a good independent show, um, I mean, obviously, there's those big WWE moments, which are cool to be in the building for. Uh, but like a Chikara show, some of the most fun I've had, it's akin to, so 
say you're, you got a Major League Baseball game and you filled the entire stadium with like the effectively wild listener crowd and you just get to interact with them the entire time. Uh, sometimes that's what those independent shows really feel like. Yeah, this is really the people that care about There this. is no harder core fan than somebody that's sitting ringside at an independent show. And there's, you know, 150 <laughs> other people in the building. I mean, that is a hardcore wrestling fan. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a Maryland Championship wrestling guy here in the area and, and support them. And you're exactly right. Some of, the, some of those matches are even more intense than what you can see at the 20,000 people, you know, WWE show. And just in terms of the product, do you guys want to kind of compare and contrast um, some of their circuits like Ring of Honor and Chikara? Uh, I'm, I'm probably the Ring of Honor guy in this group. I, I, I'm, I'm 100% Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor is probably more in-ring. If you think of WWE as having a lot of the promos and putting together, you know, whose Twitter account is this and hashtag that, it, there's a lot less of the scripted promo in, in ROH, and it's a lot more, well, this guy's fighting this guy so they can be number one contender for this, or this person's fighting this person to get a title match next month. So it, they don't focus as much on why they're fighting. It's just a very simple storyline that you can figure out in, you know, the time they walk to the ring. But it's more in-ring action, and and it's younger guys. You know, I mean, it, it to for the people that don't know Ring of Honor, I mean, Seth Rollins came from there, uh, Daniel Bryan came from there, and and many of the superstars have gone through there. So it's, I don't want to say it's a training ground, but uh, in the way that ECW was a big factor with WCW and WWE is kind of a good comp for what ROH now is for uh, NXT. I mean, Kevin Owens uh, was Kevin Steen in ROH and was a big, you know, probably their biggest wrestler. And now looks like he's got the NXT title, could be called up to the roster soon. So that's how I would describe ROH as a little bit of a feeder system, kind of like an ECW. Yeah, with a, I definitely agree with that. With the other ones, so I've mentioned Chikara a few times, which is another, not as big as ROH, but a, an independent company. Um, and it's cool because they all have different flavors. So ROH is very much, uh, and Ryan, you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, this is a, a sport and it's treated like a sport. And this is, um, these are two guys fighting and we're going to see who's the best fighter. And I mean, there's definitely still that in Chikara, but it's, hey, this is a, a comic book that we brought to life. And so, you understand, like, going to that show, I'm in a different universe as I'm watching this. Like, it's character, like, two characters are ice cream cones, okay? It's that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's fun. It's different. It's kind of a family-friendly deal. You still get great wrestling, but, yeah, you can kind of step in and out of these different worlds based on uh, what you like, what you're into, and, and there's a lot to choose from right now. And I think that's, and you hit the point, Eric, and I think that's another thing that maybe I wanted to touch on in this podcast is I think the wrestling business right now is really good. And it's wavered at times. I mean, I know my fandom was not as strong, you know, four or five years ago when I felt like the product was a little weaker, but ROH is at the top of its game right now. I mean, I'll, I'll preach those all the time, but TNA getting onto Destin, Destination America, they're doing some good things. WWE is seeing some good stuff. NXT is... Maybe the best wrestling show of the week right now. We got some great indies really running. I mean, you mentioned Chikara, Pro Wrestling Syndicate's doing some great things. Maryland Championship Wrestling. I mean, I just think it's a, a Lucha Underground. God, what a great product. Yes, yep. I, I mean, I've just started watching some of that. It's just come on cable in my area, and I, I love a lot of it. I don't love everything about it, but that's a great product. So, you know, the, the PCW over in England is a great product. I can't see much of it, but... 
there's a lot of great wrestling right now, and, and I think this is one of the high times in wrestling in the last 15 years. Yeah, with that, I would say I just found, you know, on our dish, on like, the channel's called AXS, but like on Friday nights, New Japan Pro Wrestling has like an English commentary, one-hour show they're starting to put. And that may be the best wrestling out there. And I'm not getting it here in the D.C. area, but New Japan is, I mean, the Bullet Club is maybe the hottest thing in wrestling right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's definitely one of the, if you've never checked out New Japan Pro Wrestling, um, the buzz people have about that is that it's been very, very good lately. And just last month, they ran a U.S.-based pay-per-view. Jim Ross did the English play-by-play for them. Uh, They're definitely trying to make more of a play inside the United States. And they have a great product. If you can find it on YouTube or whatever you can find, go watch it. Because New Japan probably is the best wrestling that's out there right now. Wrestling, wrestling. I think uh, NXT, a lot of fans are raving about that. Um, I guess it's sort of the developmental uh, league for WWE, but they don't really seem to publicize it too much. But uh, a lot of fans say that's probably a better product right now. Yeah, I think it's because you got to watch it on WWE Network. I think it's almost a little bit the hardcore fans know about it. Maybe it's a little bit of the underground, you know, like in the music to compare it. But it is a great product right now. And you can see it's a little more old school. And you can see Triple H's fingertips on it, a little more in-ring action rather than the promos. But they've got some really, really talented wrestlers there. I mean, Kevin Owens and, you know, it's not El Generica now, but I'm blanking on his on his new name. But Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn, thank you. He's terrific, and Aaron Neville is, or Adrian Neville's a star on the rise, and Finn Balor is terrific, and that product is great. I've just been starting to get back into that with the WWE Network. Eric, what are your thoughts? Because I think NXT is great. I love watching NXT right now. It's probably the thing I watch most regularly. Um, I think part of the problem they're going to have with it is most of the guys who are NXT stars right now outside of someone like uh, maybe Kevin Steen don't really, and I'm not arguing for this, but I'm saying don't really have the body type that Vince McMahon seems to prefer. And so you've seen all this stuff, you know, Daniel Bryan, the big storyline with him is you're the B plus player. You're not big enough, tall enough, strong enough. Um, And it's tough to see right now how someone like, Sami Zayn or Neville or those guys you mentioned, they're going to come in and be a similar size to Brian. And I love them and love watching them. I'm just kind of nervous that as long as Vince is still calling the shots, they're, they may not get the shot we hope they do up on the big show. Yeah, and that's a good transition. If you want to ask the difference between WWE and, and Ring of Honor, for instance, those guys would be stars in Ring of Honor at 210, 220 pounds. Whereas in WWE, you've got to be, like you say, a, a Daniel Bryan or a Shawn Michaels to get over that gap i mean dolph ziggler is one of the best workers in the world and he's going to be stuck in the mid card because he's 215 pounds yeah i mean you, you definitely get that's why they're pushing roman reigns like they are i mean part of it is he's a big dude and he looks like he could fight people and he's got that look that vince really likes i think a lot of WWE fans are uh, kind of terrified to see some of their favorite nxt guys uh, actually get the call up <laughs> yeah because they're afraid of what you know, even the, um, not just wrestling, but just in terms of their character, they'll probably give them some kind of cheesy gimmick to, uh, I guess, overcome their smaller size. Yeah, I mean, what is Kevin Owens in on the main roster? They're not going to let him be this trash-talking yeah. badass. They're not going to let him do that over, you know, whoever's at the top of the card right now. You know, what is Adrian Neville 
what is his character up at the main roster too? I, I think that's a great point. I mean, to me, the best thing they could do, they've got three hours. I don't know why you wouldn't do this. Bring back the cruiserweight title. And as much as we would hate not seeing them get, you know, main event time, let them work with each other and shine and have this place where they can go do what they do. I agree. That was one of the best things about WCW when it was hot. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, the NWO was taking over the last hour, but the first hour was Juventud Guerrero versus Dean Malenko or Chris Jericho versus Eddie Guerrero. And, I mean, you were going to see terrific wrestling in the first hour with those cruiserweights. Psychosis and Rey Mysterio. I mean, there were so many great matches. Go back to those early Nitro days. There were some great matches in the first hour, hour and a half. The concern with the brass is uh, if you give a segment just to um, the NXT guys, if they get a bigger crowd reaction, <laughs> it probably won't make won't make them look good, uh, the, uh, you know, well, and, the higher-ups. So. And, and I think that's a good point. They are in a tough spot. Is it a developmental product or is it a competing product? And I think Triple H has done such a good job that you can actually ask that question. Whereas a year ago, you probably would have dismissed me as crazy even saying that. But it is tough. I mean, they do a one-hour show each week. You can do a great show in one hour, but three hours is is really tough. I, I you know, like I say, I'm kind of just well. And Ken, what you brought up, I mean, you kind of asked about some behind-the-scenes stuff. When you're putting a show together, there is thought to the first few matches of the show can't do more and go harder than the main event is going to go or you're going to have some pissed off guys going on at the end. Uh, the big time example of this was Shawn Michaels and Undertaker go out of WrestleMania, have this crazy match the first time they're together. I go back and watch it all the time. I love it so much. And then you had Triple H and Randy Orton come out for the main event afterward. Uh, and there was no way that crowd was going to care about what happened in that match. And so that's definitely a concern. These NXT guys come out, people love what they do. Uh, and then you've got some veterans who are, less than thrilled that they've been shown up by these young guys yeah, it's just like at a concert you don't want your opening act to overshadow the main band that you're paying sixty dollars to see okay so maybe for our final segment uh we can sort of get into what we like about wrestling in general uh, maybe some of the more funnier quirks about just the industry uh maybe you guys want to talk about that maybe the whole kayfabe aspect uh sort of explain that eric you should explain kayfabe not <laughs> well, there was. If it still exists, this that idea is, that yeah. you basically yeah. stay in character. Okay, so early in the days of professional wrestling, this was a big deal. It's not just you play a character when you're in the ring; you were a character when you were in public. So, uh, well, there was a huge deal made. Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Iron Sheik ride together. They get pulled over together. People didn't know as much about wrestling at the time, and it's why in the world is Jim Duggan, who loves America, riding with? the Iron Sheik and they're getting arrested together and so that was a big deal to people when they didn't really understand what was going on um, and so, I mean it's a little more relaxed now that people understand kind of how the business works a little better but yeah there, there was definitely a time where it was a big deal where if you were a, a bad guy and a good guy you don't hang out together in front of people you can't be seen together don't ride together um, and it it used to be a lot more involved than it is now where people kind of get the whole idea of it yeah, social media has kind of killed kayfabe in a certain way. I was about to rant about that. I even I know it's fake. I don't want, uh, and maybe this is just me, Stephanie McMahon going on Twitter playing a bad guy on TV and then, hey, here's my charity stuff. Hey, thanks everyone for just, I still want there to be a little bit of 
give me a reason to hate this person and don't give me a reason to love them. And if you want to be a bad guy, be a bad guy. And yeah, like you said, social media has made that a lot harder to separate those things. Yeah, I love Ambrose has like one tweet and it's like, force <laughs> me to get a Twitter. And that, but it's so his character. So it's right. like you say, it's staying in the character. I understand that they're real people, but there's a time and a place to stay in the character. If you're doing an interview, okay, maybe it's more of a, more of a shoot. But or like, even worse, yeah. on Raw... Having a bad guy big show, hey, here's the charity work big show did this week. Here's right. the little kids he hung out with. And then he's beating up Daniel Bryan and knocking him out two seconds later. Yeah. But that's what that's you just brought up a great reason why I prefer the ROH product. I, I don't want to see what the guys are doing charity wise. I, I I mean, it's great that John Cena's doing make a wish and, and I want to pat him on the back. That's not what I mean, but I, I want to watch wrestling or promos. I don't want to watch that. I agree with that. And uh, Ryan mentioned a uh, shoot. Uh, there's the whole work versus shoot, I guess, concept. <laughs> oh yeah, I was dropping some terms once again. Eric, hey, you're the wrestler. Oh. You should drop it. You should explain it. No, you're all, you're you're in the. You've got the terms down, Ryan. So because um, the classic question that always comes up is, was that a work or is that a shoot? Um, a work is obviously something that's along with the script. You're trying to work with the audience. I guess is where it probably comes from, or fool the audience. And a shoot is when you're just really shooting from the hip. Would be, I assume, where that term comes from. Eric, pretty much right. Yeah, I mean, when uh, when when two guys shoot on each other, it has moved from you are working together to perform together to okay, these two guys are actually fighting now, and that happens from time to time. Right. I also mean, a good like, example of a shoot was some of the interviews that CM Punk did where he would do the pipe bomb stuff. Now, some of it was probably a work in a shoot, but that was at least their attempt at a shoot. Let me put it to you that way. Yeah, I was trying to blur the lines. Uh, right, that's well said, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can find this on YouTube if you type in, like, shoot professional wrestling matches. There are moments where you can tell, for whatever reason, someone's upset, someone's frustrated, and, and like I said, this has gone from hey, we're going to help one another to, oh, they're actually fighting now, and we're going to watch them actually fight. And you can find plenty of examples on that on YouTube. Probably and since now, like, since more fans are kind of in on the uh, kind of in on the joke now, I guess the, the wrestlers are kind of like to uh, turn the tables and kind of, I guess, troll the fans and make them wonder, you know, if something is scripted or not. Well, I think that's the best thing in pro wrestling. Yeah. There's so many people reading the the dirt sheets and Twitter and everything else. When you can actually genuinely fool a crowd, I think that's the greatest thing you can do in wrestling right now. Yeah, I think when the uh, Undertaker lost uh, at WrestleMania, some fans are wondering if you know, perfect it was example. actually supposed to end that way. Perfect example. Absolutely. WrestleMania is coming up. Are you excited about seeing Undertaker again, or do you feel like it's kind of lost its luster at this point? I would have waited a year. He okay. lost. He lost last year. Let it settle this year, because I don't want Wyatt to lose again at WrestleMania. That'll be two years in a row. That could really He's stifle going his. To lose. And that's the thing. I'd rather them have skipped a year with Taker. Let Sting and Triple H be your. I don't want to say part timer or you know old that's school guys. I and that's not really the right word because it sounds like I'm knocking them. But let that be that match. Let Taker take a year off. And then in 32 in Dallas, you know, in that huge stadium, let him come back for his final match and then figure out who it's going to It doesn't make sense that he's going against Bray Wyatt. I mean, they're trying to build it up, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. I just think they could do a lot bigger match next year on a bigger stage and, and book it better. When the Undertaker character was getting big, that's kind of when I dropped out. I remember when he first started, 
I think he had that feud with Hogan, maybe. Yep. Yep. But uh, when you know the whole Attitude Era, that's kind of when I dropped out. I only got back into it maybe a couple years ago, so I'm not as emotionally attached to him. Um, but this year will actually be the first time I think I'd actually see a, a live WrestleMania with the network only being ten dollars a month now. So I'll probably check that out just see what's like. But uh, I did see Fastlane live uh, with all you guys online, but uh, <laughs> that was kind of a disappointment there. So yeah, I remember the Undertaker from the Mean Mark Callis days in WCW yeah. with the heart punch was his finishing move. <laughs> One of the worst finishers of all time. So I guess to wrap this up, uh, you guys have any favorite uh, bloopers uh, you guys remember? That's kind of a, a favorite topic of mine. Yeah, you guys may have found this, but there's a set of YouTube videos called Botchamania. No, uh, what is this? Okay, and I here's the thing. like Being in it, I know how easy this is to do. So I hate to throw it out there, but this guy basically watches wrestling and collects all of the obvious mistakes that people make, times they've messed moves up sets it to music and there's like 60 of these videos now <laughs> and it's just kind of unintentional blooper after blooper after blooper and so uh it's definitely something if you're bored on a day to go to go check that out yeah i don't remember the bloopers is a good question i don't remember that because i always tend to cringe because bloopers in the ring tend to be right. dangerous yeah so that's more but you know i love a good you know, like Roman Reigns trying to cut a promo and he forgets what he's trying to say. I mean, those are always great. You know, and, or when the guys are obviously trying to say this line and then they get it wrong. I mean, that's always great. Oh, the best blooper. Oh, I've got it for sure. It's uh, uh, Bash to the Beach when, uh, gosh, who said it? Uh, Hogan was coming down the ramp. Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan. The third man? But who, yeah, who, which side is he on, Tony? Yeah. What do you mean? It, that was the biggest botch in wrestling history. That was it right there. It was because that was when he was doing his uh, heel turn. Well, they were they trying to it. totally make it surprising, and Bobby Heenan all of a sudden crowbars himself in, like, "Oh, is he possibly a bad guy?" And People just had no reason to believe he yeah, would be a bad guy. They totally definitely. set it up so that he was coming in to save the day for WCW, and then all of a sudden he plants his seed in. Oh, well, maybe he's a bad guy, and, and just it doesn't take all the air out of it. But now that you watch it back, you're like, "Oh, well, you just took all the air out of the segment. Great job." <laughs> I think there's one last year where uh, Randy Orton and Sheamus were doing a in-ring promo. I think they were setting up a feud, and uh, I think Orton actually forgot his line. I don't know if you guys saw that. And he actually <laughs> stopped and put the mic down and kind of whispered to Sheamus, like, "What's my?" He literally said, "What's his, what's my line?" And he's like pointing to himself. <laughs> I don't remember that, but that sounds about right. I remember Owen Hart one time doing Snow Angels in the middle of the ring. I don't know. I just saw the YouTube clip. I can't imagine whether that that couldn't have been scripted. So, I mean, that had to have been a blooper in some way. But and I think maybe the most infamous one is uh, the Shockmaster. You guys remember that? Yes, I do. That was a good one. The Gobbly Gooker. That's another one that comes up to me, too. We all thought it was going to be some de debuting wrestler, and all of a sudden it was this chicken that came out at Survivor Series. Or turkey, I guess. Oh, yeah. Those are all good. Yeah, I like that. The Shockmaster one. That's Well... If you haven't seen it, basically it was the uh, it was the guy that played tugboat, I think, before that. <laughs> yes, and, uh, <laughs> that's exactly who it was. Yes, and then Typhoon. Yeah. Yeah. So it was Sting. I think introduced him. He was supposed to be this guy that was gonna join their team. Uh, Davy Boy Smith was there. Ric Flair. I, yeah, they're doing a Ric Flair show, I think. Oh wow. Mm. Yeah, and then he, uh, the Shockmaster. It's basically a guy in a glitter, white glitter uh, stormtrooper helmet. 
and he uh, he crashed through the wall. He tripped, and the helmet fell off. And <laughs> you could see him scramble to pick up the helmet. <laughs> and yeah. then uh, yeah, don't edit that out, guys. Whatever you do, yeah. <laughs> there was the guy doing the uh, voiceover, and it was just basically a big, uh, just very big screw up. <laughs> Yeah, we mentioned the bad WWE gimmicks in that era. There were a lot of really bad ones in WCW, too. Don't act like they weren't immune to them with the Vinny Vegas and the Diamond Stud and so many. They had some really bad ones, too. The Shockmaster, that was bad. I know I've given ROH plenty of plugs here, but they have a big pay-per-view. Definitely check them out. If you're a little tired of the WWE product, give ROH a chance. It's on in most major markets now. You can find it on TV. DVR it, but it's blown my mind, and that's been kind of the main reason I've gotten back into wrestling the last six, eight months. So, you know, they got a lot of really talented people at the top of the card right now. So, check them out. All right. So, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, that's our first spin off episode. Um, some of the upcoming topics might be Snowpiercer, which Mikey Poli uh, wanted to host. Um, probably get into video games and trading cards. So, uh, you guys can look forward to that. Uh, I'm your host, Ken, and for Ryan and Eric, that's our show today. Eric, you want to uh, send us off here? Yeah, just want to remind everybody, uh, check out BanishToThePin.com. Uh, we're still rolling out season previews along with the Effectively Wild podcast. Uh, my Marlins preview will come out tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. Again, Ryan hosts the Banish to the Pin podcast. Uh, really enjoyed listening to those. Uh, continue to check those out, uh, and in the words of the Beltway Brawler, Ryan Sullivan. Be nice to your fellow listeners. All I have to say is our partner is going to shock the world because he is none other than the Shock Master! Right. The Shock Master! <laughs> I told you. Oh, God. Oh, man. 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 Oh,